Hey everybody, I'm Jen Garrett, and I've used my Move the Ball system to help thousands of people to think and execute like a pro athlete when it comes to business and branding. Now, I'm on a mission to help you utilize the same tools and strategies to elevate your hustle and get you across the goal line. So get ready. It's time to suit up, to show up, and to move the ball. Hey, everyone. Jen Garrett here. It's great to be back with you for another episode of Move the Ball. If this is your first time listening, welcome. And if you've been a part of the Move the Ball community for quite some time, I'm glad that you're here with us today. We are in the month of June, and it's hard to believe how quickly the year has gone by. Something else that I was just thinking about today was that this podcast already has over 110 episodes, and it's hard to believe that. It doesn't seem like I've done that many, so the time has just flown for me personally with the show. And one thing I will say that with all the guests that I've had on, they've been amazing. And as a host, you always want to have conversations that the audience is going to find value from, but as a podcast host too, I mean, I get so much out of these conversations, and I'm really excited for today's show. It's going to be a phenomenal show, and I know you guys are really going to like it. And one thing I will ask before we get into it is if these episodes are helpful and of value to you, please share the show with someone who you think this podcast would vibe with. I'm always looking to expand my reach and you guys sharing with your friends and within your network helps me to do that and to move the ball. All right, so let's get into the show. Inside the huddle with us is an extraordinary guest. So ready to help us to move the ball is JC Glick. JC is a retired Army Lieutenant Colonel who currently is a leadership consultant, and he advises at the strategic, at the operational, the team, and the individual levels. JC served in the U.S. Army as an infantry officer for 20 years, primarily in special operations and special mission units, and he has had more than 11 combat tours. Since retiring from the military, JC has brought his innovative and his unconventional thoughts on education, on leadership, and resiliency into the private sector, where he consults with Fortune 500 companies, the NFL, and also professional sports teams, including the Denver Broncos, the Washington football team, and the Carolina Panthers. JC, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jen. It's an honor to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so glad that we're finally getting to chat. I know we've talked about it for a little while, so it's good to have you on the show. So where I want to kick off our conversation is, and you've served in the U.S. Army for a number of years, had a great career there. Part of that, you've developed a strong background in leadership, leadership development, strategy, personal assessments, coaching, counseling, all that great stuff that leaders need to be able to move the ball, to solve complex problems, and to be successful. Talk to us a little bit more about your journey as an Army officer. I think that I always look at it kind of as my journey as a soldier, because most of my time was spent learning. The leadership that I learned were from great leaders like Stan McChrystal and Rich Clark and Dan Allen and Greg Birch, but also, as importantly, from the Mike Halls and the Jesse Anderts and the, so many of my own, the Mike Massons, the NCOs that I just was so privileged to work with. And so I think that I learned this. I had a good foundation in our pre-war years. I came into the Army in 95 and a good foundation of kind of a peacetime Army. And then when we went to war in 2001, I think I really was able to really advance my leadership thinking when looking at the complex environments of combat in both Iraq and Afghanistan and getting to work for great leaders and getting to work with great leaders 
was really something that was kind of the highlight as I look back of my career is not only did I get to accomplish the things that I wanted to accomplish in the military, but the people that I got to learn from was absolutely extraordinary. People that I still learn from to this day. And you mentioned some great leaders' names. Can you tell us a little bit more about what in your mind made them such phenomenal leaders? Simply put, I think they put their people before everything else. So the Army has the saying, mission first, people always. But I think that gets missed on the importance of people to the mission. So what I can say about all of those leaders is they put their people first, their people's development, their people's growth, their people's welfare. I won't say their safety because I don't think that it was about keeping us safe. I think it was about preparing us for anything that we could face. And all of the great leaders that I got to serve with, they always put people ahead of everything else. And if you were to look back on your Army career, can you share with us, was there an impactful moment that really taught you about Army leadership? I mean, obviously, there's certain things you can't talk about from your background, but if there is something that you can share that you'd be like, you know what, this moment has always really stuck with me is something that taught me about what it takes to be a true, a great, and elite leader. Wow. See, the problem is I don't think I could bring it down to one single act or one single moment. It's every day I was struck with how lucky I was to work with great leaders because every day I would see something that I would sit there and go, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Oh my gosh, that's terrific. I have to remember to do that. Whether it was their ability to remember every person's name and their family's names and everything about their families and their backgrounds, or whether it was the curiosity of asking about how things were going and people's thoughts on things. I just got to watch leaders every day, thousands of examples of greatness and leadership. And I can't say that there was one time. There was certainly one time when I realized I'm thinking about it wrong and I need to really up my game. And that was in Afghanistan. We were rehearsing for a mission and I had a great leader, a guy named Craig Nixon, who watched the rehearsal and said, that was really good rate for 1995. And we were in like 2005 and I was like, Oh, all right. I'm not doing this right anymore. And I, I want to say that that woke me up to, I've got to think differently and I've got to question everything that I thought about how I was leading before. But every day, I mean, from the time I was Lieutenant and, you know, my first battalion commander and Sergeant Major and, and my NCOs and soldiers to the very last day, I could probably pick out of every day, some amazing leadership that I saw from somebody who I was serving with. Oh, that's fantastic. Being an army officer myself, I can also attest to great leadership that I've personally had in my career. And people will ask me about what it's like serving in the army or in the military. I know younger guys who reach out to me, they're like, hey, I'm interested in the army JAG Corps. Can we have a chat? One of the things that we'll talk about is just the caliber of the people that I get to interact with. And I mean, I, I don't just interact with lawyers. I mean, there's commanders and other functions too, but I mean, they're just such great people, people leaders, as you mentioned, and there's just so much to learn and grow from the military experience. I will say, I forgot to mention when I was opening the show, I am also glad to have you on, JC, because 
in recent episodes, I've had a lot of Navy leadership on former Navy football players, a couple CEOs who graduated from the Naval Academy. So I'm really excited to have an Army officer on the show to bring some Army representation as well. But I mean, I, I will say that through my military experience, it's been like none other. I'm, I'm truly blessed to have met the people that I've met. And there's so many other fantastic leaders that I haven't met that serve. And so just hearing you share more about your experience is fantastic because there's such great people that choose to serve. Absolutely. And I, in my time in the joint world, I certainly saw great warriors from all sects. And, and even now I work with a company with primarily Air Force soft guys, and they are just as absolutely talented as you can imagine they'd be. So the people who choose to serve you know better or worse than anybody else, but definitely the people that I've gotten to really know in my time in service have been absolutely outstanding. Absolutely. Completely agree with that. So let's talk about your time after your military service. It's time to retire. It's time to figure out what's next. Talk to us about that transition out of the Army. The transition, I went from leading the schools for leadership development, resiliency, and fitness for the Army into a consulting role in a company as a partner. And so that transition at the time wasn't too difficult to take. I think it was harder to leave the Rangers and AWG and stop deploying for a period of time than it was to take off the uniform completely. I think that I was able to kind of take what I had learned in my years in special operations and then as a commander and transition that, what I was doing in the military to doing it in the civilian world was able to write a couple of books on leadership and leadership philosophy and enjoyed connections that allowed me to work with some of the people that I still get to work to with this day and Fortune 500 companies and professional sports teams in the NBA, the NFL. It's really been a great transition for the most part, business-wise. I've done the things that I'd like to do. I've still got some things that I come up with new goals that I'd like to do, but it was easy to apply kind of what I had learned in the military to the civilian world. And then there was another great program, the Tuck Next Step program, which I attended later than most people do. I had already been out for a few years. And that really gave me kind of the ability to kind of fill up some of the blind spots that I learned that I had over three or four years of uh, retirement. So a couple of things that I wanted to talk about that you mentioned, the work that you're doing with, with sports teams for one, and then also the books that your leadership books. So I guess let's do the leadership books first. So you wrote a book, A Light in the Darkness, Leadership Development for the Unknown. You also wrote a book, Meditations of an Army Ranger. Talk to us about both of those books. Why did you want to write them and what are they about? Yeah, so the first book, Light in the Darkness, it's funny. When I went into consulting and leadership, I was told, well, you have to have a book if you're going to do this. So I wrote it and it took like three years to write this first book. And what I really wanted to do was talk about the difference between capability and capacity, people's ability to solve known problems. So when we get a diploma or a degree, that's a capability. We've been given the solutions to problems that were already solved before. When we talk about capacity, that's the ability to solve for the unknown, the things that you face every day. And what we tried to do in special operations was we tried to help people solve problems that they had never seen before. So capacity was much more important than capability. And I wanted to take that idea to the civilian world because I think for the most part, things are capability-based, not capacity-based. But the world that we live in and the world that we face needs capacity over capability. 
And I'm not saying that capability isn't good. I mean, it's certainly good to get skills and the ability to apply them, but capacity is really those people who, when faced with anything, can figure out how to solve those things. So that was important to me. The second book was Meditations of an Army Ranger, which I realized that over a time of 20 years and a decade in combat, I had some certain ideas about philosophy and primarily Stoic philosophy. And I really wanted to share some of them because I don't know that we have a whole bunch of philosophers anymore. We certainly don't have people who are coming back from war and talking not just about their experiences, but about ideas on how we can all put the experiences that we experience in combat into our everyday lives. So I was able to do that book. And I think that book took like eight months. And I had great co-authors on both of those books. Sarah New helped me on the first book and was a co-author on this first book. And Dr. Alice Atlanta on the second book was a co-author on the second book. And without them, those two books never would have gotten done. And they really lent something to not just the ideas that I had from my experience, but they, they lent ideas that they both had, and they're both very different than I am, but both very, very thoughtful, very, very intelligent, very, very accomplished. And it gave a little bit more richness to both books, I think. And I'm assuming the book is on Amazon, or the books are on Amazon. Are there other places where people can get the books? Yes, you can get the books at Hatter's Press, and I will give you a link so you can buy it directly from the publisher. Perfect. We will have that link in the show notes so people can check out both of those books. And the other thing that I wanted to come back to was you mentioned doing work with NFL teams. I know you and I have talked about this a number of times before. And so talk to us a little bit more, unpack that. What are you doing? I know you recently were working with the Washington football team. Talk to us about what exactly you were doing with them. Well, with Washington, it's a combination of culture development. So they built a culture, but solidifying that and making it intentional and clearly defined. And then it's leadership development on how do we get players to perform better? How do we get coaches to coach better? How do we look at the challenge that they're faced each year in this season? And how do we get the most out of their people? And how do we give their people the most? Having done this with a number of teams, I can tell you, Coach Rivera, Jason Wright. So one of the differences with Washington is in the past, we've done culture and leadership for the team. Washington has decided to invest in their entire program. So the the culture that's going to serve Washington will be a culture that serves both the players and the people who work in the front office. And it's a holistic kind of attack on culture and development in, in a club in a way that probably hasn't been done before in the NFL, to my knowledge. Interesting. And I'm going to ask you a question that I was just thinking off the cuff here. So the NFL is a business, just like Fortune 500 companies, right? They're a business. There's a lot of things that are similar between those domains, right? No matter what industry, professional sports or aerospace and defense, consumer products, like You have people challenges, you have leadership challenges, you have all these things that are common, just different applications. But if there is one thing that you could say is different in the professional sports space than other industries and a challenge that you help to work through in culture and leadership and people development, is there something that you can pinpoint as it's different in professional football or professional sports and here's why? I think that 
in certain organizations in professional sports, there are rules set up to protect the players. And I certainly understand that, that if you are an owner who's focused on outcome, winning a Super Bowl and the income that is related to that outcome, then players do need to be protected. Unfortunately, a lot of the protection that professional players are given actually hurt good leaders from being able to do their jobs. So if there's a rule that says, let's take voluntary practices. If I don't see you at a voluntary practice as a head coach, I can't call you and say like, hey, is everything okay? I mean, I'm surprised you're not here with with the team because that would look like I'm telling you to be here and it's voluntary and that's done to protect you. And I think that's good. But a good leader, when they don't see some of their good people at something, why wouldn't they call up and say like, hey, why did you make the decision not to do this? It's okay. I'm just curious. What is that about? And I think that a lot of professional sports, with the exception of obviously some great coaches and great leaders, is it tends to be pretty transactional. It's you get paid to do this job and you're replaceable and when you're not performing to standard. And it's all about money and things like loyalty and things like humility and all those things kind of become difficult when you're in a transactional process. Certainly understand why those transactional processes are in place, because I do think that players can be abused, but I think we should build better leaders than not necessarily create rules that hurt great leaders. Absolutely. Yeah, that's an important distinction of how professional sports is different than other businesses. When I have a lot of former or current NFL players on, something that they talk about a lot is how competitive is and how you can be gone tomorrow. If you miss one catch or you don't perform one day, like there's someone else ready to take your spot, which in the normal business world, if you drop the ball, so to speak, on a task, it's not like you're out of there, right? And they're going to fill you right away. It's just very different. Right. But I think that the good teams, and I think Washington is absolutely doing this right, is can drop a pass. And the question becomes, okay, what happened? And now we're talking about developing that player. And it's not that players will not lose their positions in Washington. They probably will. I can only imagine. But I think that they'll leave Washington better than when they got there. And I think that's what leaders try to do is if your person comes in and then leaves and doesn't grow while you have responsibility for them, well, then you're not a very good leader. And I think that the culture that's developing, certainly with Ron Rivera and with Jason Wright, is whoever leaves our organization, and there are going to be people that leave our organization. Because, I mean, guys are brought in for roles, right? Hey, I need you for the next three games. But the goal should be, as a leader, is not that they do their job for three games. The goal is that at the end of those three games and when they have to leave, they're better than when they got there. And if you do that, then really, how could anybody complain when they leave? Yeah. And as I'm listening to you, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, good leaders develop their people to be good leaders and good performers. And I remember when I first started working at General Electric, who that company has been known for great leadership for a long time, I was really surprised about the culture was very encouraging for people to move on and take new roles, hopefully within the company. right? So, but it was expected 18 months to two years, you're on to something. I mean, the military does a lot of 
moving people in that same time period. But I was surprised because the company that I come from, which was another Fortune 50 company, if you were looking at another role, it was like, no, no, no. You know, why are you looking for a job? Whereas GE very much encouraged, like, we want to develop you in the role that you're in so that you can continue to do good things in another part of the organization or even in my organization in a different capacity, right? But it's about developing people to be better performers and better leaders. Yep, absolutely. So I think that's a great point that you bring up. So let's talk about, we're talking about the NFL. One of the things that is important currently, and a lot of NFL players are talking about is mental health. May was Mental Health Awareness Month. It's something that's very important to me. I've talked about this on the show a number of times. And I know that you're involved in a virtual reality company that's really looking to help with mental health struggles for both athletes as well as veterans and service members. Talk to us a little bit more about what you're involved with. Yeah, I'm so proud of this company that I work for, Moth and Flame Virtual Reality. And first of all, it's the leadership is is amazing. And the team that they've put together is all star, but they've created a suicide prevention program that's done in a virtual reality headset that not only meets the training requirements for the Air Force and the Army, for that matter, for the ACE program, ASK, CARE, ESCORT, but it does so in a way that has never really been done before, right? So before, and you've probably been through the training, and I know that athletes go through the training, all military people go through the training on suicide prevention training, It's PowerPoint slides and a presenter who goes through and says, hey, this is what you have to do, and here's the right answer, and here's the right answer, and here's the right answer. Moth and Flame is changing the paradigm of how people learn because you put on the headset, and the first person you talk to, you'll love this, is Tony Dungy. And Tony Dungy, it's actually Tony Dungy. It's not the avatar. You're talking to Tony Dungy, and he's sharing with you his experience with losing his child to suicide. And then asks, do you want some information on how to talk to somebody or would you like to just try talking to somebody? And so you can either get this training or you can immediately start the experience. And there again, you're not talking to an avatar. You're talking to, it's an actor who is struggling and is clearly at risk. And because of this voice recognition software that Moth and Flame has created, they're able to it's almost like a choose your own adventure. You're giving more optimal or less optimal responses to the character and the character is reacting based on what you said. So if you give more optimal responses, they're more thoughtful, they stay calm, and they eventually go with you to go see the next higher level of care. If you say less optimal things, they kind of lash out at you and they get angry and they shut down, which is exactly what happens in these real conversations. So the Air Force is doing this initial program and the Air Mobility Command. I believe that there should be in every DOD, and I think it should be in every NFL club, because when you're talking about these real conversations that have to happen and how you do that and how you work in curiosity and empathy into these conversations in an environment where if you get the wrong answer, there's really no repercussion. Like you'll get the feedback and you'll know, but You can make the mistake there, so you don't make the mistake in real life. What's amazing is, because it's an actor and because it's a person and it's done in virtual reality, your brain, even though you know that you're in virtual reality and it's not real life, the synapses that are connecting in your brain 
are exactly the same as if you and I were having that conversation. So doing the repetitions is allowing us to create that learning and applying that skill. And then I take that headset off and I was in this non-judgmental place talking about suicide. And now I can have like real conversations about suicide because I don't feel judged. I don't feel like there's a right answer or a wrong answer. I can relate to the character and I can say, you know, I felt like that once before. So as important as and, and revolutionary as I think the training is, what I think is also amazing is the conversations that it leads to. And I've been saying it, it takes hard conversations and makes them glorious. Because if we're having the conversation with somebody, it's no longer hard. It's glorious because they're not committing suicide. And I have personal friends who played professional football who were in that same place as I was when I was suicidal. And I, I attempted suicide four times after leaving combat. And I've talked to a number of NFL, former NFL and current NFL athletes who have been in exactly the same place. This is something that we both face and quite honestly, the entire population faces. And there hasn't been anything new under the sun until Moth and Flame started doing that. So I'm, I'm just very excited about it. Oh, I think it's amazing. It's interactive, like you mentioned. It's practical. It helps people. Like you said, it's not just a power in digesting bullets. It gives you an opportunity to really interact into a scenario. And if you are saying less than optimal things because you're not trained to know how to deal with it, that helps you to develop, to get better so that in the real situation, you can hopefully prevent someone from committing suicide, helping them get the care that they need. So I think it's fantastic. And where can people learn more about what Moth and Flame is doing? Do they have a website? They do. It's mothandflame.com. And there was an article just in the New York Times this weekend. I'll send you the link to that article that was in the New York Times, because what I find really exciting about it is when people are asked pre-experience and post-experience surveys, their confidence in dealing with a person in crisis goes up like 150%. And that's amazing. So the proof is in the pudding. And it's even greater when you're looking at 18 to 25-year-olds who, by the way, both in the military and in sports, are the most at-risk people to commit suicide. And I guess one thing I'll add to is sometimes we don't see the signs of people who might be struggling. And so I just want this to be a reminder for everyone to make sure you're checking on the people that are important to you because they're not always verbalizing how they're feeling. You might think someone is okay and they're struggling internally and they're just not sharing that. So I think it's so important for us to just continue to check on people and make sure they're doing okay, make sure they know they're not alone and that they can come chat with you about anything at any time. So that's my call to action to everyone listening. One other thing that I want to talk with you about, I know you've got a number of books in the works. One of them, which is going to be coming out on September 11th, is The 20-Year War. Talk to us about that book and what do you share in the book? A little preview. So this isn't my project. I'm just really behind this project. I am one of the, it's a story of 71 veterans who have fought in Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, anything that since September 11th. And it's the story of our transitions and what we're doing now. Two Rangers, Tom Amena and Dan Blakely, and then Bo Simmons, who's, who's the photographer, have, have done these photo portraits and then included the stories of each service member's transition and how they looked at transition. And I think that their goal has been, we have to change the narrative of the broken combat veteran, the veteran with PTSD, the veteran who's disabled. We have to change 
how people see the veterans of this conflict that's gone on for longer than any conflict that we've ever had. And this is a bunch of hero stories. Not only were the heroes in the military, but they were heroes after serving. There's individuals, I'm really proud, Steve Forty, who is the chief wellness officer for the Hospital of Special Surgeries, the best orthopedic hospital in the world. And he's a former SF guy. His transition obviously has gone well. You've got Tanya Oxendine, who's former battalion command sergeant major and now helps so many veterans with their transition process and inspires so many people outside of the military. It's amazing. You've just got so many great stories of these veterans who are out there and doing great things in their communities. They're not the broken veteran. They've experienced hardships just like anybody else has. I'm really excited about this project and 100% behind it because I think it's really important that the rest of the world understands that today's combat veteran is an amazing asset and you need them in your company, you need them in your community, you need them coaching and teaching your children. They're an essential part of our nation's fabric and we can't just thank them and then look at them as pitiful or objects of sympathy. We have to just celebrate who they are and what they contribute, like as much and sometimes more as others. Absolutely. And you mentioned Tom, who's one of the creators of the book. I know Tom, and I know this book is going to be fantastic. And I'm looking forward to it coming out on September 11th. So I will be getting my copy that day. And I encourage everyone else to get it out as well. We'll be sure to have a link in the show notes once it's out so people can go get their copy. So JC, what I want to do now is I want to take you through what I call my two-minute drill. I'm just going to ask you some fun questions. Are you ready? I am. Okay. My first question is, what did you want to be when you were 10 years old? An astronaut. Oh, that's a good choice. Next question is, who would play you in a movie about your life? Anybody, dead or alive? Anybody, anybody. (laughs) (laughs) I would love John Wayne to play me, but not that I think I'm any relation to John Wayne. I just think that'd be cool. Oh, there you go. Next question is, what is your favorite vacation spot? Rhode Island. Okay. How about, what's your favorite ice cream flavor? Anything with peanut butter and chocolate. How about, what is a pet peeve of yours? Anyone who says, I can't imagine what it's like to be X. Oh, interesting. All right, next question is, what book are you currently reading or what podcast are you currently listening to? So I read and listen to a number of them all simultaneously. So right now I'm reading Surfing with Sartre, Thomas Paine's Common Sense, A Brief History of Time by Stephen Hawking, Spearhead, The History of the Rangers in World War II, and there's one other one. Oh, and The Five Rings. Those are the books I'm reading right now. And I acted on Verba podcast with Marcus Aurelius, No Fear with Tony Blauer, and the United Valor podcast. Oh, and Mentors for Military and Veteran Trash Talk. Nice. My last question is, you're hosting a dinner party, and you can invite three famous people, living or deceased. Who would you choose and why? Okay, so I talk about this all the time with my wife. I think about this question all the time. (laughs) So I would like to have Socrates. I would like to have Einstein. And I would like to have Frederick Douglass. I think that would be an amazing dinner party. Absolutely. No one has said those three included any of them 
or in total. So that'd be a very interesting conversation for sure. So JC, as we look to close the show, tell people where can they follow you? Where are you at on social media? I am primarily on LinkedIn. At least I share my writings, my articles, and LinkedIn is my primary place. I do have an Instagram that's jcglick31, where I kind of promote pet projects. So the work I do with GNC, which I love, and the Unbreakable line is on there. It's where I brag about my wife and my kids. Oh, and I'm and I'm on Twitter, where I really just kind of retweet other people's ideas and and share some of my articles. Gotcha. And we'll have those in the show notes so people can follow you and connect with you. And it's good to brag about your wife and kids. So keep doing more of that. Well, JC, thanks so much for being on the show today. It's been great having you on and I appreciate your insights. Thank you again. And I really appreciate what you're doing for the community writ large about moving the ball and making people better and letting them develop into the best versions of themselves. So thank you for that. Thank you. I appreciate that. And thank you again to everyone for listening. Calls of action, just to recap. One, make sure you're checking on people. Again, mental health is so important. I personally have dealt with a son who has struggled with mental health. Many of you guys know this, but so this is something that's very important to me. So please check on people because you just never know. And especially with everything that's been going on over the last year and a half with COVID and everything, there are more people that are struggling than before. So just check on the people that are in your lives. And secondly, if you've enjoyed this conversation, please share the episode with other people in your network. That would mean a lot to me. And again, I thank you all for listening today and we will talk to you next time. Until then, make sure that you suit up, you show up and you move the ball. Thank you for listening to Move the Ball. To see more about what I'm up to and how I can help you to move the ball, check out my website at www.getinsidethehuddle.com. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. And also join the Move the Ball Facebook group for even more content and to be a part of the Move the Ball movement.